0: tennisexpress.com please check them out by going to essentialtennis.com/express thank you very much for joining me on today's show i hope that it's going to be helpful to you and it's going to give you some good information that you can take and implement into your game make sure to stick around for the end of today's show where i'm going to read a couple of comments that were left about last week's show And remember that if you'd like to leave me some feedback about each individual episode of the podcast, simply go to EssentialTennis.com slash podcast, and you can leave your comments or follow-up questions there. All right, let's go ahead and get down to business. Sit back, relax, and get ready for some great tennis instruction. Alright, let's go ahead and get started with our first question on today's show. And it comes to us from Melta in Australia. He's a 3.5 player. And Melta, I, I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. I apologize in advance if I'm not. He wrote to me and said, Hi Ian, thanks a lot for providing this podcast. I think it's great and good fun. Me and my friends have solid ground strokes, both forehand and backhand. And once in a while, we take a tripod to film ourselves. What all of us seem to struggle with is stepping into the ball, especially on the forehand side where we can make up for it with more arm slash shoulder movement slash racket acceleration. I catch myself especially on the forehand side moving more sideways and almost backwards when hitting rather than moving towards the ball and through it on my backhand side a one-hander I cannot get away with this so I have to step into the into the ball and get my body weight behind it otherwise the ball will not have enough juice behind it all of us seem to have all of us seem to move along the baseline but not enough towards the ball okay malta I'm going to stop right there and just address that quickly he actually has three different questions having to do with ground strokes and hitting them effectively. But I'm going to stop right there, and um, I I wish I would have read ahead in my questions a little bit more before I recorded last week's show, because that's what most of the show was about last week. And episode number 152 of the Essential Tennis Podcast was about stepping in. So Malta, make sure that you listen to that show, number 152. And, And basically, what I discuss in that show is that stepping in or transferring into your forehand isn't really necessary. In fact, a large percentage of the time, it's just not even possible because of the type of shot and position that your opponent is putting you in based on what type of shot that they're hitting to you. Now, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't try to step in. And whenever it's possible, it's definitely a, a positive thing. It's, it's a beneficial thing to transfer and step into a forehand ground stroke or any ground stroke. Just realize that it doesn't mean, uh, just realize that when you don't do it, it doesn't mean that you did anything wrong at all. In fact, very often when you don't step in, it's a good thing. And <laughs> believe it or not, and we're going to talk more about that moving forwards with, with Malta's uh, other questions. So I, I just wanted to get that out of the way. Listen to 152, uh, but just understand that, just because you're not stepping in doesn't mean you did anything wrong. In fact, it's very possible it means you were doing good things with your feet. Okay. So a big misconception there. And I, I just wanted to address that quickly. So now getting onto his questions here. Number one, how can we break this pattern and get ourselves ready to move forward while hitting a forehand? What is a good drill? Drop feeding a short ball, then running in to hit it comes to mind, but do you have a better one? Okay. So what I'm going to do is give you a drill that is excellent for working on moving your feet in general in all different directions. And you, you must realize Malta and and everybody else listening that you should only be moving forward and transferring into a shot when it's appropriate to do so. It's not always appropriate. And in order to, to kind of flesh that out, I, I want to mention that you, you need to understand that there's three different phases of play in tennis defensive, neutral, and offensive. And you cannot always be on the offense. Stepping in and transferring into a shot is just by nature, by definition, an offensive play to step in and hit the ball. And you can't always be on the offense. In fact, you're usually not on offense. Now, of course, it depends on who you're playing. If you're playing somebody who's evenly matched to you, then you will most of the time not be on offense. You'll either be in a neutral rally back and forth or maybe even in a defensive position if they're hitting a good, solid, aggressive shot to you. So what you should do rather than than watching yourself on on the video and saying, wow, I almost never step in. I'm, I'm moving sideways to the baseline. And then only focus on that. I want to make sure, Malta, that you practice all three phases of play. And an excellent drill to do that is what's called the Spanish drill. And I've used this throughout my entire teaching career. I I don't remember for sure where I first learned it. I'm sure it was while I was taking lessons myself back when I was a a junior player. I I know that my coach used to use it. But it's an excellent drill. Basically, and I'm going to include a a link to a video. I I went and searched it on, on Google and found a, or actually a really nice video describing or showing it, uh, demonstrating it. Basically, what it is, is you have uh, a feeder and you have a, a hitter. So you've got somebody who's facilitating the drill and somebody who's actually completing it. And the, the feeder stands in front of the person. Uh, normally, when I do it, I'm only about uh, probably six or eight feet in front of the baseline inside no man's land. I've got my basket of balls there. And I have my student start off right in the middle of the baseline. And usually the way that I'll, I do it is I begin tossing to one side or the other. And usually I'll tell them, so I'll start with their forehand side and I'll say, okay, you're going to make 10 short forehands. So I I take about one ball at a time out of the basket. I toss it um, out to my side, to their forehand side so that it lands short, probably six or eight feet inside the baseline. And so my student will have to move off the baseline, move forwards, position themselves correctly with the ball. Make a nice aggressive swing and then immediately recover back to the middle of the baseline. They'll do that 10 times. Then I move them um, parallel, uh, lateral, across the baseline. So I I toss out to their forehand side in a place where they have to move straight across the baseline to take the ball at waist height, make their swing, and then recover back to the baseline. They'll do that 10 times. Then I toss it deep. I'll toss it back behind them into their forehand side. So they have to move back. Six, eight, ten feet behind the baseline, in order to allow the ball to bounce, come, come up, come back down again to where it's comfortable to hit, make their swing, and then recover back to the baseline. Then I'll mix it up, and I'll say, okay, I'm not going to tell you which of these three is coming this time, which is obviously more realistic, and then they'll have to move short, wide, deep, combination of all those three without me telling them which is coming, and after each recovering back to the middle of the baseline. Then we'll do it on their backhand side, and then usually to wrap things up, I'll give them all six shots, all mixed up, high and deep to their backhand, wide to their backhand, short to their backhand, same on the forehand side, and I'll, I'll do it randomly to all six positions. And in all six uh, tosses, they have to move to the right spot, make a good swing, and recover back to the middle. This is, this is how tennis is played. You, you cannot play tennis all from one phase of play. You must be able to, to back up and play defense, move across the baseline and play a neutral shot, or move into the court, transfer through the ball, and play an offensive shot. And the Spanish drill is excellent for doing all three. Now, I'm going to post a a, a link. Go to EssentialTennis.com slash podcast, and no matter when you're listening to this, click on episode number 153. And you'll see a link there. I'm going to post a link to a video that USPTA actually put this video together. It's actually really well done. And when you watch the video, it's actually a Spanish coach doing the video. It's where it got its name. It apparently, it has been a famous drill that Spaniard coaches have been using for a long time now. Um, when you watch that video, they he does it in a specific sequence, and it's much more. Um, dynamic. The coach is having his players do inside-out forehands, inside-out backhands, and um, it, they go through a specific pattern. When I do it, I, tip, I, I, will, I will do a simple pattern first, then mix it up and make it random. Uh, but this is an excellent way to, to practice all three phases of, of play, Malta, and definitely go check it out. Now, uh, one more thing I want to, to mention before we get to his second question uh, if if you only want to work on your offensive phase of play on your forehand side, and that is when you have the ability to be balanced, step in, hit hit an offensive shot, um, fine. Just make sure that you don't ignore neutral and defensive shots too. And if you want to work on the short ones, um, start off with just having somebody feed short balls over and over. Practice moving into the court transferring your weight making an aggressive shot and you can make this into a competitive game as well where one side feeds the ball short on purpose the other side moves in and attacks and then play out the point lots of different ways you can work on it on that specifically but i would i would really caution you from only working on one phase of play like that malta okay moving on now to his second question He says, the footage shows clearly that all of us have a tendency to wait for the ball to come to us rather than closing in on the ball and hitting earlier. How can we break this pattern? Okay, (laughs) and and Malta, in all three of your your topics and questions here today, I'm going to be talking about and uncovering a misconception and something that recreational players very often think is true, but it's really not, especially for a player like yourself who is Kind of right in the middle of the road. You're not a beginner. You're i, I assuming that you're um, NTRP level. He he puts himself down as a three five. Assuming that's accurate, you're definitely not a beginner. You've been playing a while. You you've got some skills. However, on the other hand, you're definitely not an advanced player either. Now, keeping that in mind, w- this is what you should be doing most of the time: is letting the ball come to you. What you're describing, uh, closing in and taking the ball early. Uh, I assume you mean by that taking the ball on the rise so taking the ball uh, early meaning early after it's bounced and you will see professional players do this often they will move in close to the baseline kind of crowd the baseline and take the ball right off the bounce as it comes from their opponent's racket and hits on their side of the court and they'll immediately rebound it back very often taking a full swing and taking a shot that I kind of should put them in a defensive position because it's very, very deep in the courts, but they turn it right back into offense um, back at their their opponents. Now, taking the ball on the rise is great, but I have two problems with it for the recreational player. Number one, a large percentage of the time, it's just simply not possible at all. When you rally against another 3-5 player, there's not a whole lot of balls that are landing right next to the baseline. And those are the ones where it makes the most amount of sense to take it early and right on the rise instead of backing way up and allowing it to come to you. Um, So that's number one. Uh, When the ball lands, for example, if you're in a rally back and forth and the ball lands on the service line, you can't take it early right off the bounce. Now, you could take it earlier if it lands on the service line. You can move forwards a step or two inside the baseline and take it uh, a little bit earlier. But your number one priority is to hit the ball where it's comfortable. And that's right around waist height. And usually the best way to do that, especially if the ball is landing on the service line, is to allow it to come up to the top of its bounce, allow it to come back down again to where it's comfortable to hit, and then hit the ball. And so the ball really dictates, or the the ball flight really dictates where you're going to be when that happens. And taking the ball early, meaning at waist height before it gets to the peak of its bounce, is only possible if you can get to the ball before that happens. And in most rallies against a 3-5 player, um, most shots, it's just not possible to do. You just can't get to it quickly enough to, to take it early. Now, that doesn't mean you can't take it, again, earlier or maybe take a step or two forwards. But in general, just keep that in mind. Very often, it's just not possible. Number two, on many shots, it's also just not a good idea. Maybe it's possible that you could get there to take it early. But um, in doing so, you're going to rush yourself You're going to make it just kind of a frantic sprint to get to the ball in time before it gets up past your strike zone. Uh, Because if you don't take it early enough, it's going to get way up high outside of where it's comfortable to hit. And very often, it's possible to take it on the rise. But in order to do that, you have to make a quick rush towards the ball. And it's not going to be easy to do. And by the time you get there, you're out of balance. You don't feel comfortable. And you would have been better off actually being a little bit further back in the court. And being relaxed and allowing the ball to come to you and and being a little bit more rhythm and feel a little bit more comfortable. So in closing those thoughts, I just want to say that hitting on the rise can be great, but you only want to do it when it's practical and it's comfortable and it should make sense. It shouldn't throw you off balance and put you in a tougher spot than where you started. The rest of the time, you should allow the ball to come up, come back down again, and then make contact. And that's how most of your shots should be hit. In fact, go watch the Australian Open. It just started yesterday. Uh, Well, you know that you're in Australia. Uh, Watch the Australian Open. Watch a, a men's match and see how often they hit the ball on its way up from the bounce. The majority of the time, they're allowing the ball to come to them. They're allowing it to come up, come back down again, and then hit it where it's most comfortable so that they can hit the most effective shot possible. Of course, you'll see them take it on the rise and take it early as well, but it's only when they're able to do so controlled and in balance. And all of you listening that are recreational players, you should be doing the same thing. Very rarely, to be honest, hitting the ball early and on the rise. And most of the time, allowing the ball to come to you in a comfortable spot. Okay, so one more question from Malta, and this one is, all of us seem to hit the ball too upright, not bending our knees enough. Again, more so on the forehand side than on the backhand side. What is a good drill to stay low, in quotations? Well, I've got a problem with that last phrase. And uh, again, kind of a misconception here. And bending your knees is awesome and you should be definitely trying to do so on both your forehand and backhand side as, as using your legs can help you clear the, the number one thing that you have in the way to your success and that is the net. We want to make sure we clear the net easily and consistently on both sides. However, you don't want to stay low. You should almost never stay low on your ground strokes. The whole point to bending down with your legs is so that you can then stand up. Uh, You want to use your legs to lift the ball. And if you get down with your legs and you literally and you quote unquote stay low as you hit the shot, well, you did something good by getting below where the ball is. But if you just stand there and drop your racket and drop your arm, you can get plenty far below where the ball is. On most shots, you don't need your legs to bend in order to get the racket below the ball. On the majority, vast majority of shots, just dropping your arm and letting the racket drop is more than enough to get the ball, uh, get the racket below where the ball is. The, The point of bending your knees is usually not to do that not to drop the racket but to use your legs actively during the shot to use them to lift the ball and drive the ball and kind of give the ball more of a drive by actively using your legs to bend down and then and then stand up (laughs) so if you bend down and you don't ever stand up again until after the ball is gone you're kind of missing the point again now what I also what I don't want is for you to just be standing upright throughout the entire stroke. So I want to be clear on that. Using your legs is good, and I started off this answer answer by saying that actively using your legs is great. I just don't want you to use them and then quote stay low. That's that's not what you should be doing. Um, a good drill to work on this Malta is to stand next to your partner. Start off on the service line, and stand uh, get a practice partner and. One of you will be, just like the, the Spanish drill, one of you will be facilitating the other person practicing, and stand next right right next to your partner, let's say on the forehand side, on their forehand side, right to their side, and hold the ball just two or three feet off the court, so probably a little less than a meter or a little bit less than a yard, and just, just, just hold the ball there and just let it go, let it bounce, and when it comes back up again, it's probably not going to come up off the court any more than about two feet or so. And that's that's the point. We we we're trying to give them a low ball. And the point here is to have them practice. Once you've dropped the ball, have them practice getting down with their legs below where the ball is, and then actively standing up again with the swing. As the ball, as the racket comes up to meet the ball, and they're making contact, their legs should be actively standing up again, so that so that uh, that that those big muscles. Uh, exp- contracting and expanding again and coming up help lift the ball over the net and that's why we're doing this from the service line is we want to put the person who's practicing close to the net so that you really have to get underneath it and we're putting the ball low so that they really have to get below the ball and really stand up nice and strong to, to get under the ball lift it and you should still be able to keep the ball in play by creating topspin and having a curve back down into the court again Now, one progression to this drill would be to have them then start in no man's land or even back on the baseline and drop the ball, again, just from a stationary position. um, Drop it from a little bit higher this time so that they're able to to have enough time to get to it. Uh, But have them practice doing the same thing while on the move. So maybe this time drop it from like shoulder height, maybe four or five feet uh, up up off the court. Have them start in no man's land or maybe even on the baseline depending on how fast they are and just drop it from shoulder height, have them start moving forwards quickly as soon as you drop it, uh, get to the ball, bend, get below it, stand back up again, move through the point of contact, and lift the ball over to the other side. So the focus is still on getting down below the ball, and then not staying there, but lifting up again, and getting the ball over the net to, to clear it safely. All right, so Malta, good good questions, and I'm happy I was able to address all three because again, some misconceptions about ground strokes, kind of similar to last week's show, but some different topics. So the first one was, let me go back to my outline here. Uh, the the first one was moving, uh, not necessarily always through the ball, but moving in general, and in a defensive, neutral, and offensive phase of play, being able to move with the ball correctly. You, sh- you can't and you shouldn't always be stepping in or transferring into the ball. Um, and use the Spanish drill to practice that. Again, go to EssentialTennis.com slash podcast and you'll, uh, you'll see a video there that links to an uh, um, example of the Spanish drill. Second, waiting for the ball. Most of the time you should wait for the ball to come to you. Let it come up. Let it come back down again. Let it drop to where it's comfortable for you to hit. And that's where you should be making contact. Okay, another misconception there. You shouldn't always be rushing at the ball to try to always take it early and always take it on the rise. Um, practice that. Uh, taking the ball on the rise is great. Practice it, but that's not. How, you shouldn't be striving to always take it on the rise. It's it's just not practical. And then thirdly, uh, being upright and, and trying to stay low. Don't stay low, please. <laughs> Get low, but then come up again so that your legs are helping you lift the ball and make it a safe shot and, and easily clear the net. So all three of those, and and Ben, uh, not Ben, um, Malta. I know that the way that you you wrote it, wrote your questions, might not have exactly been uh, the way that I took it, but um, you at least alluded to some misconceptions, and I wanted to get all of those out there, really air them out for the benefit of everybody listening. So uh hopefully you don't think I was uh kind of talking down at you or or angry at you that that you were thinking about things always the wrong way. Um uh, a lot of times you're on the right track here, probably just worded things a little bit different differently than maybe you meant or maybe you totally meant all three of those in their in the kind of the misconception way of thinking about all three of those topics. Um either way, I wanted to get that good information out there and make sure everybody's on the same page. And I hope that my, my answers were helpful to you and get you on the right track. So thanks very much for being a listener in Australia. Enjoy the Australian Open. And if you have any follow-up questions to anything that I talked about in this show, go to EssentialTennis.com slash podcast. Go to episode number 153. Leave your comments there. And I'll be happy to reply. So thanks very much. And good luck working on all these different parts of your ground strokes. That does it for episode number 153 of the Essential Tennis Podcast. I'm going to cut the Q&A section a little bit short because I want to make sure that we get to some comments from last week's show. And if I tried to answer a, a whole other question here, we'd easily be going past 40 minutes on this, this week's show. So we're just going to leave it there with the Q&A with Malta's uh, questions. And I want to read some, read some comments that some people left about last week's show, the uh, Forehand Misconception show. First of all, from Dave, he wrote and said, I think that there is some or medium weight transfer at the pro level because they load on the inside of the back foot, which facilitates some forward weight transfer, even though it may not appear as obvious as the step forward onto the front foot. I also think that the pros can get away with less or no forward weight transfer because of the speed and weight of the oncoming shot. At a 3.5 to 4.0 level, you get a lot of slow balls and a lot of fast balls with no weight behind them. And in my opinion, the weight transfer is essential to generate pace. Well, Dave, uh, yeah, some things I agree with in there and... Uh, w- at least one thing that I don't always agree with. Um, I do agree that even when the pros don't physically take a step forward into the courts, they are still transferring momentum and weight into the shot. It might not be super obvious, and they might not physically move three feet forward as they make contact, but the the transfer from inside foot to outside foot definitely transfers transfers at least some weight into the shot. And I, I'm pretty sure I actually said that in, in last week's show. So I agree with that. I also think it's a really good point that you brought up the the fact that the ball is already moving really fast at the professional level most of the time. And that's actually a really good point. When, when the ball already has a lot of momentum to it, it takes less of your own to hit it back at an aggressive pace. And during a you know, a 3.0 level rally back and forth, there's not a lot of speed on the ball already. So to hit aggressively, you, it takes a little bit more of your own energy to make the ball come off your racket aggressively. Uh, when, When the ball is already moving quickly and you meet it with your racket, it comes off more quickly. So, so that's a good point. Um, that being said, the last part, uh, the, the, one part that I don't always agree with is, uh, you said, in my opinion, the weight transfer is essential to generate pace at a three, five or a four level. When you get a lot of slow balls, I don't agree with that. If the player's technique is, is good enough to accelerate the racket, it's not essential. Now that doesn't mean that it can't be beneficial. It can help. And I, I said that in last week's show. It's not that I'm saying that transferring your weight is bad, and it doesn't help, and it's no good. Uh, but I, I just wanted to point out that technique is much more important. It's much more essential than transferring weight. I was watching Monfils last night. Um, I need to find out if he won, by the way. Uh, I know that he won the third set after being behind. Anyway, and I, I, was, uh, I was I I was was actually watching this. I, I had this in mind while I was watching him and his uh, opponent, uh, Dutchman. Uh, De I, I think, or, or something like that. I probably mispronounced that badly. Uh, but I was watching on on one specific shot. Uh, Monfils' opponents hit him a weak shot right in the middle of the court. No pace to it, and Monfils moved moved up to it quickly. Hit from an open stance. Didn't step in. Didn't transfer forwards, and and hit a winner. Now. Obviously, he's a world-class athlete, and he's a beast of an athlete, uh, so so he can do that. However, I don't think that recreational players are, are, are unable to do that either. Um, stepping in could have helped Monfils get, get more pace and hit a more aggressive shot, but it wasn't necessary. He obviously has great swing technique, and I think rec players should, should learn that, should learn how to use their upper body to really accelerate the racket, be relaxed, create racket head speed, and, and be able to put the ball away. Not to say that transferring your weight and stepping in is a bad thing, but just want to point that out. It's not essential to generate pace. I'll leave it at that. Okay, and next up uh, from Steve. After listening to your podcast, I checked out YouTube for some old-timer games, Labor versus Connors, Newcomb versus Rosewall, etc. It was mostly a serve and volley game, so there were very few baseline rallies that you could examine closely. Per set, I estimate that I saw maybe one or two strokes that was a classic closed stance, weight transfer forehand. Jimmy Connors was hitting these classic strokes as an approach shot when he rushed the net, the kind of step in and transfer forwards. I guess the forehand, I'm sorry, I guess the forward momentum is useful if you are going to the net, absolutely. However, most of the time, they just went with the flow, striking the ball on the fly, rushing the net, hitting half volleys, and even a few times uh, hit an open stance forehand. As with today's pros, Federer and Nadal included, there are no quote-unquote classic or quote-unquote perfect forehands. Every stroke is slightly off, adapting to the situation. Everyone should keep in mind to be flexible and adapt and not try to hit an open stance forehand every single time just because they were taught this, and it's the way it should be done. Yeah, Steve, I, I think that sums it up really, really well. There's different situations every time you get the ball. And if you try to take a cookie cutter stroke, you know, in this stance and in this follow through, in this balance, and do it every single time and try to make it fit into every single situation. You're just going to feel awkward and off balance a lot because your the shot your opponent hits to you has a lot to do with what you're able to do with the ball and what you're able to do with your body. And so I, I think that's really interesting that you went back, watched some of the kind of old school players and old school matches and saw kind of the same thing that today's players are doing, professional players are doing. Just kind of going with the flow, taking it as it comes, not always doing the same stance and the same stroke, uh, but just doing what they had to do to hit a good shot back. And that's a lot of what goes into being a high-level player, is being able to adapt and just do the best you can with what you're given. So, Steve, thanks for your, your comments there. And lastly, from Penelope. I've always struggled with my forehand and often feel like I'm thinking about 10 things while hitting the stroke, whereas my backhand has always been more solid and natural. I found this podcast very helpful in getting me to focus on what the main ingredients are. That's awesome, Penelope. And don't feel badly about that. For most people, it's the opposite. Their backhand, they're having to think, at least for me, it is, and for most students that I work with, it is their their backhand they have to think about it. It's not as natural. It doesn't just happen as, as fluidly. Uh there there kind of feels like there has to be more thought about the technique. And and so don't feel bad about that. It just means you have to spend more time with your forehand um to learn and kind of put into your muscle memory what's solid and what's going to help you hit a good shot. So I'm I'm glad that last week's show kind of made things a little bit more clear as far as what's really important. Work on those things you know drill them practice them repeat them over and over and over again until it becomes a habit and then you'll be able to start hitting that forehand hopefully as confidently as your backhand is so dave steve penelope thank you three for your for your thoughts and everybody else who commented on last week's show thank you for your thoughts had some good discussions in there with listeners and i'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show go to essentialtennis.com slash podcast go to episode number 153 Leave your thoughts, and it's very possible I will read them during next week's show. All right, well, that's going to do it for this week. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I appreciate it. Take care, and good luck with your tennis.